Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another episode of That's Truth from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Studios. I'm Nathan Owens, and sitting across the desk from me, as usual, is Pastor Dr. David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Uh, good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening to those who are listening. Hope we can interact with you this evening. Pastor, before we get back to our topic of Bible prophecy, we have a couple of questions that have come in since the program last week. First of all, Pastor, can you share your thoughts on the verse Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 3? Let me read it for you. It says, And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he shall dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. I, I am not too um, sure why the question was asked in that particular way. I'm not too sure if there's some particular mystical meaning that the person is hoping that I could give. But it's very clear when you read Revelation chapter 21 and verse number 1 and 2 that number 3 is an explanation of those two verses. Uh, verse 1 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, out of, uh, from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then he explains that. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. So he's talking about the New Jerusalem that is going to come down out of heaven and will be a, a kind of a suspended location above the earth, the earth when it's renewed. Um, and the indication there is that when it happens, uh, God himself would become the resident person who dwells there with the believers. Uh, so this is something that the Bible teaches, that the Lord is going to be among his people. And if you go on further into the chapter, um, you'll discover that the dimensions of the city are given. We're told uh, uh, the different um, objects that would be in the city itself. So this is the New Jerusalem that is promised. Remember Christ said, I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will return. This clearly is what we're talking about here, the fulfillment of it, and that God would now dwell among believers. Uh, it will later tell you there will be no sun there because the sun, the, the Christ will be the, the light of the place. And uh, it will also go on uh, to explain uh, different things that are located within that particular city. But it's an explanation of God dwelling among his people. When it said that the tabernacle of God uh, in verse number 3 um, is with men, and then he says, and he will dwell with them. The word dwell there is the same word tabernacle. He will tabernacle among them. That same word, by the way, is found in the book, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14. 
where it said that Christ, um, if you could read that for me, please. John yeah. chapter 1, verse 14. Yeah, John. Chapter 1, verse 14. The Gospel of John. Yeah, yeah. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory and the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Significant. That's the same term that is used there. And, of course, when it says, And uh, the, the Son became what? The Word became flesh and dwelt. The Word there dwelt and tabernacle among us. It's talking about incarnation. Interesting. When he, as God, became man and dwelt among men on planet Earth. The same term is used there in the book of um, Revelation, that this will be a permanent dwelling now with the, the Christians. Uh, when he first came as a man, of course, um, he was he did what the Lord had called him to do. And then after finishing the job, he was crucified, and uh, he went back and ascended into heaven. But he's coming back again, and he's going to dwell among his people, and that will be a permanent dwelling. So that's what uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 is about. I trust that that answers the question. Thank you to the individual who sent that in. And thank you also to the individual who sent in this next question. Pastor, I was reading Exodus chapter 4, verses 18 to 31, which is captioned, Moses returns to Egypt. Verse 24 is the verse that they are asking specifically about, and I'll read that verse and then continue the question. Verse 24 says, And it came to pass by the way in the inn that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Verse 24 states that while Moses was on his way, the Lord met him and was about to kill him. But Zipporah took a knife, a flint knife, and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. And it says, Surely you are a bridegroom or a husband of blood to me. Uh, verse 26 states, So the Lord let him alone. Pastor, if God spoke to Moses earlier in the passage and gave him instructions and he was getting ready to carry that out. Why would God meet him in the way and attempt to kill him? Well, there are two things here. First of all, uh, notice that Moses is, is married to Zipporah. Zipporah is an Egyptian. She's obviously a pagan that he's married. Uh, the other thing is that uh, the reason why um, the foreskin had to be removed from all the progeny of Israel is because it is part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. So it was a sign that you belong to the covenant when you were circumcised. Here is God calling Moses to lead his people, and the very man who is the leader is not even falling in line with the covenant that has been made. Uh, how is that going to happen? And it is very, very clear that God somehow incapacitated Moses so that not even he can do the circumcision. God was Now, if God really wanted to kill Moses, he could have killed Moses. Clearly, this was intended to move Moses to understand that if you're the leader, you must mm -hmm. fall in line with the covenant. You just can't be leading God's people and uh, violating the very basis of the covenant, which is the circumcision. So this is uh, a passage that really has to do with God impressing upon Moses as a leader that he has to set the example and falling in line with the covenant relationship and uh, circumcise his children as what's required. Uh, Zipporah apparently is offended by this because, again, she is a, an Egyptian. And this would not be the normal thing for an Egyptian. So therefore, that's why she called Moses a, a bloody person. It could have been that uh, out of respect for his wife, 
she was hesitant to allow him to perform the circumcision and like most men sometimes we give in to our wife's desire but at the same time we must obey God rather than our wives so therefore uh, God had to take drastic action and uh, even made Zipporah the one who probably was against it to actually perform the, the, the circumcision and after that was done of course it meant that the children came under the covenant Moses himself was obedient and uh, uh, and God let him go and God allowed him to perform what he, what he wanted to do but it was very hard to be called to commission to lead God lead God lead God's people but at the same time uh, you are violating the very basic covenant that brings you within a covenant relationship with God which is circumcision so so pastor during that time period could an Israelite be saved if they weren't circumcised uh Everybody is saved by faith. If a person exercises faith, but faith, uh, we demonstrate our faith by how we act, how we behave, how we. How, and so, if there's a conditionality laid down there that the person brought into common relationship would have been circumcised, it would have been very difficult to have believed the person belonged to the, co- the covenant people had they not been circumcised. But if you go into the book of Romans, uh, it is very, very clear that circumcision was not a means of putting a person, making a person saved. It was just a sign that a person was in a covenant relationship. Uh, just like baptism, for example, uh, baptism really is a, a visible sign that one has made his professional faith in Christ. And you're publicly saying to the world, um, you know, I've put my faith and trust in Christ. I'm buried with him in baptism and raised with him in newness of life. But I don't think uh, it can be proven anywhere in the scriptures that baptism is a requirement in the sense that uh, if you don't get that, get baptized, you're not saved. But it would be very hard to believe that a Christian claims to be a Christian and don't want to be baptized at the same time. So that's a, that is a, um, we know that faith says, but we know that our behavior and our obedience indicates to people who know us and who witness uh, our lives, uh, would it not, we are, we, we demonstrate it by uh, the fact that we genuinely say by how we live and how obedient we are to God's word. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. It's a live, interactive call-in program. And thank you to the individuals who have already sent in two questions this evening. We look forward to more questions. Maybe it's a question that someone has asked you. Maybe you were asked years ago, and you don't know for sure how to answer it. Give us a call. The phone line is open and available, waiting for your call to be put live on the air, 1-268-462-7420. Or if you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 1-268-782-1454. Now, for a number of weeks, we've been discussing the topic of Bible prophecy, and Pastor has been going through and explaining in easy-to-understand terms and concepts these overarching principles that sometimes become overwhelming when you take them, uh, when you don't break them down in a rational fashion. Now, Pastor, last week you were discussing Israel's part in Bible prophecy and whether the church has replaced Israel. Is God finished with Israel? Is the church the new Israel? If you go into the Bible, it becomes abundantly clear when you look at Romans chapter 9 to 11 that God has uh, stated in those three chapters 
what the overall history of Israel is all about in relation to himself. In, in chapter 9 and 10, he discusses Israel's uh, past and Israel's present. And then in chapter 11, he begins to deal with Israel's future. Uh, we pointed out in our last discussion that in chapter number 9, uh, Paul talks about the past of Israel, and he dealt with the whole matter of the benefits that were accrued to Israel, and that she had the adoption, she had the glory, she had the covenant, she had the law given to her. Uh, she was one that rendered service to God. God gave her the promises. She had the fathers of the patriarchs. The Messiah came through her. She was a chosen seed, and she was elected for divine service. Th- those are, that's Israel's uh, past. Those are the, the blessings that Israel enjoyed. And then in beginning in chapter 9 and 31, and going to running from chapter 10 to verse 21, Paul talks about Israel's blunder. Uh, in spite of all that God had done for Israel and the blessings God had given to Israel, she tried to establish her own righteousness by attempting to keep the law. And in the process, she bypassed and stumbled over the Messiah when he came because the dominant theme in Israel's history was the law, and she was hoping to establish what is called law righteousness. And being ignorant of God's righteousness, um, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, she went about to establish her own righteousness. And as a result of that, Paul tells us in chapter 11 that Israel presently in a state of blindness. Now, Paul makes it very clear that um, God has not cast away his people in chapter um, 11, verse 1. He points out that he himself is a Jew. He points out that um, 7,000 people in the days of Elijah, verses 2 to 4 of chapter 11, were preserved. And he pointed out in verse number 5, there's a current remnant that is preserved. So God has not totally cast off his own people. But what Paul points out in, in chapters uh, 11, chapter 11, verses 7 through 10, is that God has judicially blinded Israel as a result of Israel's unbelief and not accepting the Messiah. And Paul uses Isaiah in verse number 8 as a, uh, as a basis quoting Isaiah that this was prophesied it would happen to Israel, that God would blind Israel. And he also uses David in verses 9 to 10 in chapter 11, showing that David himself prophesied of this blindness that was coming uh, upon Israel. Uh, But then Paul points out that this blindness that has happened in Israel partly in verses 11 to 12 is in order to bring about the conversion of the Gentiles. So Israel's blindness has now created an opportunity for the Gentiles to be reached with the gospel. But then Paul uh, explains in verses 13 to 15 of chapter 11 that it is part of God's plan that by bringing in the Gentiles, it will provoke Israel to jealousy so that Israel will return to God. Because she's a chosen people, she have all the covenants, and God has now set her aside in a state of blindness. The Gentiles are now enjoying the blessings that Israel should have enjoyed, and uh, it, the intention there is to cause Israel to want to return to God. So, And then Paul points out then that uh, this process of blindness is temporary in verses 16 to verses 20, and uh, her unbelief is what keeps her in this state of blindness. However, in verses uh, 21 to 24 of chapter 11, he points out that God will once again remove the scales from Israel's eyes and regraft her into his program when this unbelief is lifted. And Israel's blindness uh, will come to an end. And Paul points out, by the way, in verse 24, that this will take place when the fullness of the Gentiles is come in. And what that means is that when the last Gentile is saved, that is being elected by God, 
when that last Gentile is saved, then God regrafts Israel, raptures the church, and put Israel back into the program. So the fullness of the Gentiles would be over. Gentile power would be crushed, and then the Israelites would now be re-engrafted into God's program. And then Paul says finally in verse 26 to 27 that all Israel would be saved. So that's the future, the blessings uh, that are going to come to Israel's way in the future. So God is not done with Israel. Absolutely not finished with Israel. By the way, could I say this is important because there's so many groups today that have no room for Israel. The Jehovah's Witnesses have no room for Israel. The Seventh-day Adventists have no place for Israel. The Reformed churches have no place for Israel. The Catholic Church has no place for Israel. And the Greek Orthodox Church has no place for Israel. As far as they're concerned, the church has replaced Israel. But yet Romans 9, 10, and 11 puts God's entire program and said, He hasn't forsaken His people. He will pick them up again when the time of the Gentiles is complete. Then He will regraph Israel into His program. Pastor, we have a caller calling from Bendel's Antigua. Thank you for calling. And go ahead with your question, please. Good evening, Good evening, sir. Good program. Uh, Pastor, I have a question on that Sure. Uh, do you do, you can clarify it, please. Uh, I attended a church that is going on over a little more than two years now. Uh-huh. And I have never received communion, neither received food anywhere, anything. So I take my own and I am the pastor, he doesn't believe in communion. Uh-huh. So his answer was, to me was, uh, believe in communion, but he waiting on God to tell him when to take it. So I find I find that kind of strange. I would like to. Yeah, that, that that is rather strange. I've never never heard um, a pastor making that kind of a statement. So he, I'm not too sure who this pastor is, but he doesn't have to wait for the Lord to tell him uh, when to have communion. Uh, the Bible tells us that we are supposed to practice communion. Now, the frequency of that is not determined by the Scriptures. As often as you do it, you do it in remembrance of Him. There are some people, some churches that do it every week. Uh, we do it once a month in our church, basically. But uh, communion should be a regular part of a church service. I, um, I cannot conceive of why a pastor would be delinquent in not uh, having communion for two years and I think it says a lot about his understanding of Scripture and maybe uh, his belief in Scripture as well. But I would be appalled if any pastor would be, uh, I mean, go so long without having communion. That is a shocker. Well, what is, his explanation to me is that there are certain things he did in the church with some members and, and we can tell him wait until he clarifies until he get over it. So I find that one shock because... Well, I, I, I find that difficult. I mean, it can't be everybody in the church that is wrong or having a problem. So you, that should not, as a matter of fact, maybe even having the communion might provoke some people sitting in the pew uh, to really get right with God and get right with other members. Because if you're in the church and you're having communion and uh, you're celebrating the Lord's death and His coming back, et cetera, et cetera, and of course communion is also a sign of fellowship uh, with God, uh, it'd be very, very hard, I think, for you or me or any other believer to see other believers participating in it with joy. And because of something in your life, you're not able to do that. I think it would almost provoke you to want to get things right. And, of course, the pastor can use the occasion as well when he's talking about the communion service, what it means. Uh, you know, uh, remember that it's a symbol of the Passover, and you're supposed to take out the unleavened 
uh, before you partake of the, part, uh, the, the Passover, and Rome, and, uh, sorry, Corinthians tells us that that has to do with the, the leaven of wickedness and evil. And I mean, it gives him an opportunity to talk about those kind of things at the communion. So I, I'm kind of surprised that he would do that, and I, I would suggest. Uh, because, I, because I know, I know, most time when you have in baptism, like you have too frequent with and baptize them, and I know most time after the baptism, just have communion in the church, and a couple months ago we had baptism, and not even that, not even that time we had communion. Yeah, that's strange. Yeah, I think it is strange too, and I, I think the members in the church should really confront him in a decent way, in a proper way, and uh, I think they should virtually insist that we get back to communion because it's a biblical mandate that's given to the church. It's not something, it's not an option, basically. It's a mandate given to the church that we should put this into practice. Uh, and remember that we do show the Lord's death till He comes. It also has an evangelistic message to those who are non-Christians who will be sitting in the congregation. It gives you an opportunity to talk about the death of Christ, the cross of Christ, the blood of Christ, and the remission of sins, etc., etc. So it has an evangelistic input that can be uh, talked about, basically, or preached about uh, during the communion service. So I, I think you need to talk to your pastor again and uh, encourage him to do the biblical thing, do the right thing. And uh, if I think he persists in that way, I really think the congregation should meet with him and uh, discuss this whole matter with him and, and request of him that he fall in line with the biblical standard and what God expects from the church. So I think it's right and proper sometimes to confront issues like that, but do it in a decent and a proper way and uh, non-confrontational, uh, intending for the welfare of the church. Okay. okay? Thanks for calling. appreciate that. You're welcome, sir. Thank you very much for your call. God bless you and keep listening to the station. Keep encouraging others to listen. If you have a question, the phone line is available again. You can call in 1-268-462-7420. Or if you'd rather WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to 268 782 one four five four. Now the time across the Eastern Caribbean is seven fifty three on this Tuesday evening. Pastor, you were talking about Israel and that God is not finished with it, and dovetailing in with that, what does the Bible teach specifically about the return and the reestablishment of Israel as a nation, or does it discuss it? Yeah, the Bible de- deals with this fairly extensively. There's so many. Uh, prophetic books that allude to the fact that Israel would be brought back to Palestine and replaced and, and given their own land. Uh, the regathering um, of Israel is, is certainly something that is put forward again and again in the prophetic writings. But in addition to the regathering of Israel, uh, God has promised to preserve uh, Israel, and God has given some very strong bases on which to confirm this preservation. If I might just uh, have us look at just a few verses about yeah. the preservation. Uh, Brother Nathan, I don't know if you got uh, Psalm 89, and I will look at Jeremiah 31. So if you look at Psalm um, 89 and read from verse number 20, uh, I think you'll see that God has promised that he will preserve Israel, and so that's why he's never cast her away permanently. He's always part of his plan, and part of that plan is to preserve Israel so that in the end time, he can once again graft her back into his plan. 
89 verse 20. Verse 20 and go down to verse 37. Okay. I have found David my servant with my holy oil. I have anointed him with whom my hand shall be established. Mine arm shall also strengthen him. The enemy shall not exact from him, nor the son of the wickedness afflict him. And I will beat down his foes before his face and plague those who do hate him. But that, but my faithfulness and my mercy shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand also in the sea, and his right hand in the rivers. He shall cry unto me, Thou art my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. Also I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore and my covenant shall steadfast now notice that term there um his seed also will i make a endure forever uh, that's verse um 29 20, yeah you go ahead uh verse 29 his seed also i will make to endure forever mm-hmm. and his throne as the days of heaven yeah if his children forsake my law and walk not in mine ordinances. If they break my statutes and keep my commandments, then will I visit their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utter. Take, will I not utterly take from him, nor allow my faithfulness to fail? My covenant will I not break nor will I alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Verse 35, When I have sworn, when have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David? His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me. And verse 37, It shall be established forevermore like the moon. And as faithful witness in heaven, Selah. Yeah, yeah, you see that repeated in there, it talks about this is an everlasting covenant that um, as long as the sun endures and the moon endures, basically, Israel will endure. And he points out that even though Israel might do wrong, he would chasten Israel, he remain faithful to Israel. So there is divine chastening in relation to Israel, but notice the preservation. Just like he preserves the sun and he preserves the moon, he, he, he promises to be faithful to David and would never, ever break the Davidic covenant because the Davidic covenant is that one would sit on David's throne and rule forever and ever. This is the Messiah who is coming, who is of the seed with David. So Israel is preserved. The other important verse um, that uh, shows this preservation is um, Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, 35 to 38. Uh, it reads, Thus saith the Lord, which give up the sun for light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and of the stars for light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured and the fountains of the earth search out beneath, I will also cast off the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. But you notice that he's saying that these ordinances that he's put in place in terms of the moon and the star and the, and the sun, uh, the only way that God would ever cast off Israel if these things would fail. The, in, the, the inference there is that he's going to preserve Israel just as sure he preserved the sun and the moon 
he is going to preserve Israel. So we can be very, very sure that God has never, ever cast off his people forever. And that's why it's so important to not ignore the fact that Israel has a prominent role to play in Bible prophecy. But these groups I've mentioned, the the Catholics, the uh, Greek Orthodox Church, uh, the Jehovah's Witness, the uh, Seventh-day Adventists, um, including the Reformed uh, School of Theology, none of them have a place for a literal nation called Israel. And that's why they are so skewed in their prophecy, because there's no place for Israel. And you cannot understand Bible prophecy, whether the book of Daniel or the book of Revelations, without understanding the prominent role Israel will play in the end times. That brings us to the whole question that not only would God preserve Israel, but the fact that he, Israel will be regathered and there are so many Bible verses that indicate uh, this regarding. Could you help me, Nathan, with yep. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12? Isaiah 11, verse 12, and Isaiah 53, verse 5 and 6. All right, Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 12 says... And he shall set up an ensign for the nations, and shall assemble the nations, and shall assemble the outcast of Israel, and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. So notice he's talking about Israel worldwide scattering and God bringing them back from the four corners of the earth. Now this did not take place in 722 B.C when the Assyrians took Israel into Assyria. It did not occur when the Babylonians took Israel uh, into Babylon. Uh, this is a worldwide scattering uh, that took place. And of course, in 70 AD, when the Romans went and totally obliterated the temple and destroyed Jerusalem and scattered Israel globally. But the Lord promised, I'm going to bring you back from the four corners of the earth. So there's a promise that he's going to bring the nation back. And that began in 1948, May 14th, when the UN gave Israel the right to be reestablished as an as have its own national identity and its own land. And the book of Isaiah said that a nation would be born in a day. And Israel was born in a day on May 14th, uh, 1948, when it, become, it became a nation after being not a nation for over 2,000 years. So you're saying there's a specific day in 1948 that is specifically mentioned in Isaiah. But that's why Isaiah said, in a day yeah. a nation will be born. Do you know if any nation is born in a day in all of human history, in no. one single day? But that took place in 1948. Uh, but that's part of the prophetic word. In um, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 5 to 6, Isaiah 43, verse 5 to 6. Fear not, I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the far ends of the earth. Same thing, global scattering, but they're going to be regarded from north, south, east, and west, and that's what's been happening since 1948. The Jews have been returning to Palestine. By the way, there are more Jews in Palestine now that are in America, which is shocking because that was never the case before. And that nation is now, um, once again, not only a sovereign nation, but the Jewish people now have a homeland, and uh, they intend to stay there permanently, uh, but the Lord is going to chasten them. What is fascinating, by the way, is that when you read Ezekiel chapter 37, and Ezekiel, um, Ezekiel chapter 37, you discover that in the, the, the image of the, uh, the Valley of Jibones, 
when um, the prophet uh, sees dried bones in the valley, and if you want to look there, Ezekiel chapter 37. What verse? Um, just read verse 1 to 7, please. Okay. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Verse 4, Again he said unto me, Prophesy upon these bones, and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Nathan, just hold it for just a minute, because we can spend a lot of time on this. Read now verses um, 11 to see what who these bones are, or what these are about. Okay, verse 11 says, Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off from our parts. Continue reading to 14. Uh, verse 12 says, Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord. And when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land, then shall ye know that I am the Lord, that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. So that's a promise. This is like Israel being dead for 2,000 years, and then God said, I'm going to bring you back into the land. Notice that, and he says, it's my people, and bring it back. Mm -hmm. So the nation of Israel is going to be revived. It is going to be regathered. It's going to be replaced in the, in, in the in land of Palestine. This regathering, however, by the way, because a lot of people are saying that the nation today is not, not the prophecy because they're there in unbelief. and But that's the point. The point of the prophecy is that they will be gathered in unbelief and then God will chase them. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 20 to 24 for just a minute. Yeah. And when they entered onto the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name when they said to them, these are the people of the Lord, and are gone forth out of his land. But I had pity for mine holy name, which is the house of Israel had pro which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. To what verse? Go, go right on verse twenty-four. Okay. Verse twenty-two says, "Therefore, say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God: I do not this for your sakes." O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. Now read verse 24. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all the countries and will bring you into your land. Now stop there. Notice that he's going to bring them in. But notice verse 25, what he's going to do after you bring them back to the land. Then I will sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. That's the point. You. She comes back in unbelief. 
she comes back where she's not cleansed, but she's going to be cleansed during the tribulation period because of the divine wrath. So the fact that Israel is there and she's not, uh, she still doesn't believe in the Messiah, that's how he brings her back. I bring you back and then I'm going to sprinkle clean water and make you clean. So Israel comes back to Palestine and she comes back in a state of unbelief. Look at um, Ezekiel chapter 20 and verse 36, the 33 to 36 as well. That sprinkling of clean water, would that be the tri- the tribulation then? Yeah, that would be the cleansing that's going to... Uh, remember that he's speaking in terms of Israel's symbolic cleansing. If you read the book of Leviticus, you had certain waters that would clean, uh, in symbol symbol of cleansing, um, we call uh, ceremonial cleansing, and that's the expression that's used there. But the whole idea there is the cleansing of Israel and bringing her back to faith and trust. Ezekiel chapter 20 and what verses? Uh, 20 verse 33 to 36. All right. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely with a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out will I rule over you, and I will bring you out from the people and will gather you out of the countries wherein ye are scattered. With a mighty hand and with a stretched out arm and with fury poured out, and I will bring you into the wilderness of the people, and there will I plead with you face to face. Verse 36 says, Like as I pleaded with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so will I plead with you, saith the Lord Verse God. 37, though. And I will cause you to pass under the rod, and I will bring you into the bond of the covenant. Same thing. He brings her back into the land, and then he puts the rod on her and bring her back into a covenant relationship. In other words, he's reestablishing his covenant relation with Israel, but he has to put the rod on her. And that's where the tribulation is all about. It's about God dealing with the nations and dealing with the nation of Israel in particular purifying her until she comes to the point of repentance and faith and she's restored into a covenant relationship. We could um, we could go through uh, other verses, but the point we're trying to establish here is that the nation of Israel um, was to be preserved. The nation of Israel is also going to be restored to Palestine, and she will restore to Palestine in unbelief, and then God will chasten her, and that's what the tribulation period is all about. Now, if you don't have a place for Israel, <clears throat> you can't understand the tribulation period. You don't understand what the, what's the whole purpose of it. But once you get an understanding that God is going to regraph Israel into his program after the church is raptured, and then chasten her, bring her back to faith and our covenant relationship, then you begin to understand Bible prophecy, and that's why it's so important uh, if you're going to understand the book of Revelation, the book of Daniel, to fully appreciate what the prophetic word is teaching. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. The name of the program is That's Truth. We're broadcasting from the island of Antigua on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. And for this program each week, we are also live on Facebook Live. So if you are curious what happens behind the scenes on a live call-in program, feel free to go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and click on the Facebook Live video feed. I know oftentimes you have the radio on and it's just background noise, but we are here to interact with you this evening, and it's an open opportunity for you to ask questions about Scripture, about a biblical worldview, about maybe you're not a believer, maybe you don't claim to be a Christian, and that's fine. We are glad that you are listening, and if you have a question, we would be glad to answer it from the Bible. 
Give us a call. The phone number to be put live on the air is one 268 462-7420. Maybe you have a topic or an idea for something that we could discuss in the future that you think would be beneficial to you and to others. Please do suggest it. You can WhatsApp or text us at one 268 782 1454 one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Time on this east on this Tuesday evening across the Eastern Caribbean is eight eleven p.m. We still have fifty minutes left in the program, so go ahead and send in your questions. Encourage others to tune in and to send in their questions. Pastor, why is it that Israel plays such a major role in end-time prophecy? I know it might seem to those who are listening that we uh, seem to um, favor the nation of Israel or that we are putting so much emphasis upon it. But it's a lot of reasons why we, we do that. Um, I think, in my judgment, I think it's a super sign of the end times. And I really think if you really know, want to find out about how close we are to the rapture and how close we are to the Lord's second coming, I think we need to keep an eye on the Middle East to see what is happening with Israel. Uh, for example, our Lord said that Jerusalem will be trodden underfoot until the time of the Gentiles is, is fulfilled. In other words, until the whole Gentile economy, which began with Nebuchadnezzar, comes to closure, Jerusalem will be trodden underfoot. What is interesting about that, in 1967, for the first time in 2,000 years, Israel joined the, uh, the war, the 67 war, retook Jerusalem. But the problem was, of course, that the the Temple Mount and that part of Jerusalem was still in charge of the Arab nations. And in our lifetime, don't forget, in 2019, uh, Trump just made Jerusalem the capital of, of Palestine. And uh, now, uh, so when you begin to hear about Jerusalem, and the Bible says Jerusalem will be trodden on the foot of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled, the fact that Israel not only retook Jerusalem in 1967, but now... Jerusalem has become the capital in, in 2019. I, I think we either got to be sleeping or something if we don't understand the significance of that. But clearly it's now coming to the point where Israel will have complete control of Jerusalem. Of course, uh, President Trump also gave her a right to the Golan Heights and even just recently allowed her to keep on building um, her settlements in the West Bank. So how do you look at this? This is this is not insignificant. This is very very significant. That she's gaining more control and more control to the point now where the, her capital is Jerusalem. So yeah. So are you saying that President Trump, who wouldn't necessarily claim to be a Christian and uh, is not a follower of Christ, are you saying that God is using an unsaved man to work His will? God used Cyrus, did he not? God used Darius, God used um, Nebuchadnezzar, God used the Assyrians. Of course, God uses uh, world leaders to bring about his plan and his purpose. And I always like to say this, God used Obama as well. There's no doubt in my mind about that. Obama had to be president in order for the Russians to get back into the Middle East. Remember, Russia was put out of the Middle East uh, in the 70s and was not part of the Middle East, but because of his passivity, uh, it was allowed the Russians to take the move of come back into into Palestine. But the reason why that has to happen, because if you read Ezekiel 37, 38, in the end times, Russia is going to have a confederacy of nations that will invade Israel. But how was that going to happen was the big question that I had, and most people had. Then in our lifetime, now Russia is back 
in that part of the world. She has now built naval bases in, in Syria. And she's now, by the way, it's interesting, she and uh, Turkey are now um, um, guarding the border between Turkey and Syria. And what I just read recently, by the way, is that um, Turkey is threatening to come out of NATO and form an alliance with Russia. And here's the other thing is that, the another significant thing, Iran is now forming an alliance with Russia. If you read Ezekiel 38 and 39, Russia is one of those allies, Iran is one of those allies, Turkey is one of those allies. There's a fascinating uh, things that are happening, these conversion of things that the Bible talks about happening in our time. But the truth of the matter is, people are so absorbed with uh, things that are not so important that they forget to take the scriptures and read the scriptures and see exactly how close they're moving to midnight. And uh, I think anyone that's aware of the current events going on in the Middle East and in Europe will not be aware that we are living in serious prophetic times and we ought to be alert. You know, our Lord warned the people that they could look at the sky and know the signs of the times, but he said, you know, this, uh, the, you, you don't even know the signs of the time, but you can tell me the weather by looking at the weather. He condemned them uh, for being able to look at natural phenomena and come to conclusions and not see the prophetic word coming to place, and they are so oblivious to what these signs are. I heard just yesterday on the radio a program, Prophecy Today, I don't know if you're familiar with Jimmy D. Young, but he was talking about how China is now working with uh, Russia and Iran, and I think it was Turkey, and how that also fits in the Bible prophecy uh, as far as China trying to replace the uh, the American or the the influence that has been there and the new alliances that are being formed. Let me just mention, if you're interested in Bible prophecy and you want to keep up with little snippets of what's going on, one of the best programs that I can point you to with current day events is Prophecy Today. It airs at 3.32 on weekday afternoons and also at 7.10 on weekday evenings. Prophecy Today with Jimmy D. Young. Interesting that you would mention that, Nathan, because, again, this is where Trump comes in. Uh, Trump is the first U.S. president that has decided to take the bull by the horns and deal with the whole problem of China. Every previous uh, leader... Uh, talked about the danger of China, but we're not prepared to t- take any measures. But Trump has come down very strongly with tariffs, and uh, now they're trying to get a trade deal. Uh, but you could see what ha- what is happening to China now, because uh, America is still the number one economy. It, it, what Trump has done is put China back many, many years. So what China is doing, what you're saying, I can see her now m- using the geopolitical situation to try to push back on America, so I can see her aligning herself with Russia. Now remember that the the Russia um, hoax that they had with Trump, uh, that has got the American government uh, so manacled that even to make a reproachment to Russia is now seen as there's a compromise. So China and Russia are most forced to go together to come against America. And then, of course, Iran now, with all the the the, um, the unrest that's going on in Iran, is pushing Iran again with um, with uh, Ch- Russia and China. And don't forget North Korea as well. So the, 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 there's no question about what is happening. The major world players have to be on the scene. And I do not know of another president that would have imposed tariffs because tariffs has never been a policy of the American government. But 
Trump has come to his presidency with a different ideology altogether. He's not the king of the world. He's the king of America. And he's not going to allow countries to rip off America, et cetera, et cetera. And so he's put things into place. But that has created a, a situation now where China and Russia and these other nations are trying to counteract American power. It's part of the geopolitical uh, end time phenomenon. And we ought to be aware of what is happening. So if we can point to general principles and events that are taking place and align them with scriptural teachings, Pastor, can we look at it and say 18 and a half days from right now, the rapture is going to happen, the tribulation is going to start 30 days from now? Are we able to do that? No, that has been the mistake that people have made again and again. As a result, it has brought a lot of reproach on the church and has called people to turn away from Bible prophecy. You've got... Uh, so many different people setting dates. You, you, Jehovah's Witnesses are infamous for this. I mean, I remember in 1973, they set a date for the Lord to return. I can still remember that as a boy. And they'd set other dates after that as well. And each one of them was proven to be fake. Remember the Seventh-day Adventists set 1834, 1833, that the Lord was going to return. And uh, it was a great disappointment he didn't return. Of course, they were saved that day when a guy walking across the field saw that he didn't return to earth. He went for the first holy place, tended the Holy of Holies, and that's how this whole hoax was saved. But the truth of the matter is that was the same mistake that was made setting dates. The Bible says no man knows the day nor the hour, and it's impossible for anybody to set a date for the rapture. The rapture can occur any moment, any time, it is imminent. And uh, what will happen, all the signs in the scriptures have nothing to do with the rapture, have to do with the revelation. That is the second coming. But if we can see the second coming, signs towards that, we know the rapture must occur before the second coming. So clearly it could give us an indication that the rapture is fairly near, but we can't set a date for the rapture. So if you were to set a date of uh, July 2nd, and I said July 3rd, and uh, Marianne sitting in the next room said July 4th, Based on Bible teaching, does that guarantee that the rapture doesn't happen on those three days? Well, I'm not saying it would guarantee it because, I mean, you can have everybody setting a date for the next 50 years. Yeah. And then they, <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm saying that it's a hypothetical. That there's no firm basis for anybody okay. setting a date for the rapture. That's the point I'm making. And the Bible tells us the only person that knows that date is, is the Father. And he has set that date under which uh, the Lord would return. That's why in Paul's writings... Uh, the rapture is always seen as eminent, that we should be in a state of prepared and watchfulness. We don't watch for dates. We don't watch for anything. We just look for him because he's coming, and when he comes, he'll be coming very, very sudden. By the way, we, we will make a distinction between the rapture and the revelation or the second coming. People confuse those two mm -hmm. things, and we will sometimes make an indication of those two. I want to get back to, to Israel for just a moment, why it's so important. Not only because, uh, you know, the fact that Jerusalem is so prominent in Bible prophecy and will be restored to Israel, where Israel have complete supremacy of it, but also uh, in Daniel chapter 9, we talked about that the Antichrist is going to sign a peace track with Israel for seven years, and then we'll break it in, a th in three and a half years. That's important as well in Daniel chapter 9. And then in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15 to 20, uh, also refer this to the book of Daniel chapter 40 to 41. The Antichrist is going to invade Israel and desecrate the temple. It's called the, the abomination of desolation. So that's why, again, that's important. And then in Ezekiel 38 and 39, talking about the Russian coalition to invade Israel in the time of peace, again, 
that has to happen, and therefore that makes Israel significantly important. And then in, Ze- in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1 to 9, and Zechariah chapter 14, verse 1 and 2, it tells us to come a time when Israel would be a, 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 a cup of trembling in the hands of the nations. And the Lord says that there will be a global assault against Israel. All the nations of the world will come against Israel because she will be seen as the main problem on planet Earth. And already that's looking that way because the UN, for example, favors the Palestinians and think that Israel is the problem. Mm-hmm. But that time is coming when it would seem as though Israel is the cause of the, the global issue. And the Bible tells us in Zechariah that all nations will come against Israel. And then in uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 13 to 17, it talks about when the satanic attacks begin on Israel, that she will uh, flee into the wilderness to find a haven of safety. Uh, So for all of these reasons, uh, that's why we believe that the nation of Israel is so important and so prominent in Bible prophecy. And you do a great disservice to the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel if you ignore uh, the nation of Israel in respect to the future. Time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.23. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you'd like to WhatsApp or text your question, you can send it to one two six eight seven eight two one four five four. Thank you to those who have already interacted with us this evening. Pastor, you mentioned in an earlier program that the Roman Empire will be revived as a ten-nation confederacy, is the EU the beginning of that phase of the Fourth Kingdom? Well, we cannot say with absolute certainty that the EU is the revived Roman Empire. Uh, however, I personally believe that substantially uh, it is correct that I believe the EU is the beginning of the uh, the revival of the Roman Empire. Just remind yourself that every European uh, power really has been trying to reestablish its global dominance. And if you check world history, you'll find that attempts have been made again and again to revive the Roman Empire. Uh, the Kaisers of, of uh, Russia or Prussia, for example, the word Kaiser is Caesar. They tried to establish what is called the Roman, Holy Roman Empire. Charlemagne, uh, the fr- French king, he tried to establish the, the reestablish the Roman Empire. Napoleon, that was his ambition. Bismarck, that was his ambition. Uh, Hitler, that was his ambition. And the Ottoman Empire as well, uh, that was the ambition to try to reestablish uh, the, the Roman Empire. And remember that most of the European nations that are part of the EU were formerly elements of the Roman Empire. Uh, so it would seem that out of Europe is coming this uh, EU, and, and it would seem to me that this is somehow the reviving of this uh, Roman Empire that the Bible talks about. Remember also in Revelations chapter um, Daniel chapter nine, chapter seven, sorry, and Revelation chapter thirteen, that the fourth beast has on his head ten horns, and also remember that in the fourth beast. In uh, Daniel 7, the fourth beast that's to come, which is the fourth kingdom, have these ten horns. And remember, in the statue, you've got the ten toes. So we know that there are only four kingdoms. You had the Babylonian, you had the Medo-Persian Empire, you had the Greek Empire, and then you had the Roman Empire. So there's only four kingdoms to come. And then on this fourth kingdom, this fourth kingdom, you've got these ten horns, which is going to be a ten-nation confederacy, according to the book of Daniel, chapter 7, and Revelation, chapter 13. So, uh... 
it would it's very very clear that the revived Roman Empire is coming out of Europe and out of the old Roman Empire. The other thing is that in Daniel chapter seven and also in the book of Revelation, the little horn uh, that is going to come that would blaspheme the name of God that has a great mouth to speak great things, a great orator who gets killed. Uh, he is the prince that will come in Daniel chapter 9 that will sign the peace treaty for seven years. So he comes out of the European uh, revived Roman Empire. And always remember this, well, Nathan, that the stone that comes, which is, is Christ and his kingdom uh, filling the whole earth, strikes the image on his toes and destroy the kingdom. So the Messiah comes in the time when this revived Roman Empire comes out, this ten-nation confederacy. There's no other kingdom after this. Right, So the Roman Empire was there, it went into demise, but it's going to be revived in a ten-nation form. And when that happens, the Messiah comes back, destroys the world powers and set up his kingdom. You find that in Daniel chapter 2, also in Revelation chapter, um, Daniel chapter 7. So I think that the current European Union, Union is somehow an attempt to rebuild uh, the... Roman Empire or European powers and remember it took 50 years to bring the EU back together uh, as a group. They've all been fighting each other, France, Germany uh, Germany, uh, France, England and Russia uh, um, German Russia, France as well so they've always been this tussle between them and the thing is that they're trying now to come together, put aside the national differences and establish a global power where Europe now has a tremendous force in dealing with uh, the counteract America and, of course, counteract Russia and China. Pastor, we have a caller from Nevis. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Yes, good evening. Good evening, sir. How are you doing? I'm not doing too badly. Glad hearing from you um, again. Um, I'm bringing to your attention a passage of Scripture from the Acts, Acts chapter 15. Uh-huh. Verses 13 to 16, and it reads, And after they had heard, they held their peace. James answered, saying, Men and brethren, hang on to me. Simeon had delivered, had that is not delivered, but cleared. Simeon had declared how God had first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for him, for his name. And to this the agree words of the prophet, uh-huh. as it is written, after this, I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which is fallen down, and I will build again the ruins thereof, and will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, the Lord who does all these things. You want my comment on it? 
Yes. Yeah, I think uh, you are. I can see that you're doing uh, your study in Bible prophecy. This is one of the great prophecies of Scripture, by the way, that explains God's program uh, in this current dispensation. Uh, the dispute there in Acts chapter seven, 15 has to do with the matter of where did the Gentiles fit into God's program. And uh, of course, you had people coming down from Jerusalem, uh, Judaizers claiming that the Gentiles must now be circumcised, be circumcised. and obey, uh, obey the law of Moses. And so they had this conference to settle this whole question, where does the Gentile fit into God's program? It's interesting that uh, you would raise this because here James, uh, who is the one that officiated at the meeting, uh, like the chairman as it were, here's James settling the whole question by pointing out two things. That as part of God's plan, uh, uh, God brought in the Gentiles, and uh, a future date is coming when, after that, He's going to now we graph Israel into His plan and we build the Tabernacle of David. So He's now dealing with the Gentile nations, now dealing with the church. But the time is coming when he is going to rebuild the tabernacle of David that has fallen down. And that's where Israel again will be grafted into this program. It's interesting, by the way, that the quotation from uh, Acts chapter 15 is from Amos chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. Those are the verses that James, being the moderator, he quotes Amos chapter 9, 9, verse 11 and 12 to indicate that it is God's plan to graft the Gentiles into his program now. But he's not finished with Israel. There's coming a future day when he will build back the tabernacle of Israel. And that is where he will fulfill his promises that he made in the Old Testament to Israel and to David, according to the Davidic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the new covenant, and the what is called the, the, the promised land covenant in Deuteronomy. So you're exactly right about that. This is one of the passages that show you clearly God's plan. Work with the Gentiles, save the Gentiles now. And uh, But the time is coming when he's going to rebuild the tabernacle of David. And that has to do when the church is taken, then he will begin to put Israel back in his program. This dovetails with Romans chapter 9, Romans chapter 10, and Romans chapter 11. Israel's past, all the great blessings she had. Israel's present in blindness. And then one day, the scales will remove, And so all Israel is going to be saved. And God graft Israel back into his program. So this is a... Fascinating verse, Acts chapter 15, which sets out the program of God in relation to Israel and the Gentiles. Thank you so very much. Okay, I sent in the question last week about Revelation 21 and verse 3 and 4. Uh-huh. What I wanted to know, it says, God will dwell with man. Uh-huh. Now, is this referring to God the Father or the Son? Well, it's referring to the entire Trinity. But don't forget, you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And this is going to be the presence of the entire Godhead with His people. Uh, but this is dwelling with them in a different way than He dwells with us now. In, our, in, in, the, in The Holy Spirit takes us resident in the believer's life. But uh, He's promising there in Revelation that we will now know God in a way that we've never known God before. He now dwells among God's people. Uh, so that's what it's talking about. And this is, the, this is what we hope for, by the way. I don't know if this is what you hope for. This is what I hope for, that one day uh, I will see God and know God in a way that mm-hmm. I have never known Him before, and I will spend all eternity trying to find out all about Him because you can't comprehend God. This is part of the delight of a believer's faith. People talk about being born in heaven. I don't think they mean born in heaven whatsoever. When you start to try to find out the ways of God and the thoughts of God, and you know, there's so many. I, I, I'm just 
um, overwhelmed when I think about what the future holds in relation to our knowledge of God. And there's so much. I don't know. I'm such a curious person. I want to find out how things work. I want to know. I want to find out why there's electricity. I've, I've read books upon it, but I still can't figure out why it happens. I know the thought of EMF, uh, electromotive force. I don't understand why it is there. Uh, you know, nobody have ever seen an atom yet. They got these. Uh, the, the, the atom is there. They tell you that it's the nucleus in the center. You've got the protons, and then you've got the electrons whirling around. Nobody have ever seen that. That's just a, a theory. But so I'm very, very curious to find out a lot of things, and I think that you and I are not going to be bored. He's going to be with us, and we're going to know him in ways we've never known before. Thank That's you. True. Because God said to Moses, "No man shall see me and live." Correct. But in Revelation 22, uh-huh. I think it's in 22, he said, "And they shall see His face." Yeah, that but, is God. Right. We can't see God we, in. Go ahead. We shall see his face in that time. Yeah. Yeah. We, so we, we, what we can't see now and live yeah. would be made visible to every believer. Yeah, that's the point you, you, that people need to understand. We cannot see God in a current sinf- sinful state and live. He's a consuming fire. But the day is coming when we be like his son. We shall see him, we should be like him. And therefore, there be no more sinful nature. And uh, therefore, God can reveal himself in ways he cannot reveal while we're living in this world of sin. Nathan, thank you very much for your call from Nevis. We appreciate it. We appreciate your faithful listening. The time across the Eastern Caribbean on this Tuesday evening is 8.35. We have just over 20 minutes left in the program. So if you have a question, go ahead and send it in. Pastor, you were talking about the EU, and you referenced a few historical uh, events that, in all honesty, I didn't remember or wasn't aware of. Is it possible for you to just give a brief history of the EU? Yeah, let me just say a few things about the EU and why we, at least I, uh, feel that this is just the the beginning of uh, what will be a final revival of the Roman Empire. First of all, it was established in 1957. Uh, it was birthed then under the Treaty of Rome. And it was created, and there were six nations that joined the to form this EU. There was Belgium, Germany, Luxembourg, France, Italy, and the Netherlands. And that brought a conglomerate of 220 million people within the EU. In 1973, um, the EEC, the European Economic Union, was formed, and three other nations joined, Denmark, Ireland, and Great Britain. And that brought the total now to 286 million people within. But those were just a t- uh, 10 nations at this point in time. Greece joined in uh, 1981, um, and that became the 10th nation as part of the EU. Uh, in 1985, five new members joined um, and uh, became part of the EU. And then in 1986, Portugal and Spain joined. That brought it down to 12 nations. In 1992, the Treaty of the European Union was signed um, in Netherlands. And in 1995, Austria, Finland, Sweden joined. That brought the total of 362 million together. Uh, in 1999, uh, the Monetary Union of Europe was formed, uh, giving it one currency. And um, uh, currently, by the way, they have 29 nations within the EU. Uh, so it moved from 10 nations now to 29, 28 nations currently in the EU. EU. According to the EU website, 
one of the objectives um, is to assert European role in the world. That's the whole design of this uh, EU. To, to, I repeat, to assert European rule, uh, role in the world. So it wants to play a major role in, in the world. Um, the member states of the EU delegate their sovereignty to the EU institutions to represent the interests of Europe uh, as a whole. And in the tr- Treaty of, of, of Lisbon, uh, for example, they then amended the, the, con- the Constitution to allow uh, some of the nations to withdraw. Uh, and by the way, they're now 28, but the union seemed to be fracturing. Uh, I remember that in May 27, 2005, France voted to re- come out of the EU, and there was a referendum on 54.8% versus 45.1%. So France, with the referendum, wanted to come out of the EU. And then Netherlands in June 1, 2005, um, they had a referendum, and they voted against being part of the EU. And don't forget, in June 26, 2016, the UK voted that they would come out, and I think they're going to come out this, this year. So the movement is beginning to fracture. Uh, and I think that when it all boils down, that you're going to have 10 of these coming out and forming this 10-nation confederacy the Bible talks about. Uh, and this is where, um, if you look at the whole history of it, I think that this is just the beginning of uh, this final phase of the the Roman Empire. And it's very, very significant by the way that's happening at this point, where they're trying to come together in the interest of European power, uh, no doubt counteracting the Soviet Union, no doubt want to counteract the the US. By the way, even the European Union has even suggested that they come out of NATO and form another uh, security organization. So that might be fractured in the future. So we have to keep looking at Israel, keep looking at Europe, keep reading your Bible to begin to see how these things are converging. I found it interesting that you referenced that because my mind went back over the last couple of years. I think even uh, some of the leaders in Germany coming out and saying that the European Union needed to create its own military force. Yeah. And the other thing, Nathan, is that because of the the unsettling of the Middle East and you had a lot of these um, refugees, being allowed into Europe. And remember that because you belong to the Union, the the borders are, you can cross borders. There's no security of the borders. That brought about a reaction because of the influx of uh, the amount of radical Islamic people that were going in there committing all kinds of atrocities. As a result of that, it's interesting that there are a lot of those, including Hungary, by the way, and one or two of the others, that want to come out of the Union because they want to preserve their national borders. And because they were part of the EU, they were almost forced to accept this, this, this Muslim invasion that took place as a result of what was happening in the Middle East with, with, with Syria. This has created a distaste in the mouth of many European countries who are now realizing that we should not surrender our sovereignty. And that's why Britain is coming out, by the way. And I think you're going to find as time goes on in history that more people, more nations are going to come out of it because they want to maintain their sovereignty until eventually you're going to have a 10-nation confederacy that bond itself together as a, a union. Pastor, as we talk about end times prophecy, there are so many conflicting views. And my challenge to you is, or what I'm going to ask you to do is to 
list some of these main views and then their core teachings and beliefs and compare them. And this is probably a bigger task than what we have time for in the next 15 minutes or 17 minutes on the program. But is it possible to compare them in that light? Yeah, we we can do that. But I I would like to say that um, a lot of the confusion that there is about Bible prophecy and about the different views, I think that um, prophecy have suffered both at the hands of its friends and its foes. And I think um, as a result, there are people who still have doubts about um, the accuracy of when people proclaim uh, issues about prophecy, for example, you you mentioned date setting. Uh, there's also the matter a lot of a lot of this reckless speculation where people try to do newspaper newspaper exegesis to find something in the newspaper, and they're always looking for some Bible verse to tack on in that matter. Um, and 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 uh, I think that th- some of these views, um, I think, when you begin to clarify them, um, I think people begin to um, see that. Um, it helps them get a greater grasp on the book of Revelation and the book of Daniel once you believe in the literal interpretation. But let me give you the um, the main um, schools of Bible prophecy. Um, there are three main schools of Bible prophecy. There is what you call the amillennial view of prophecy. There's what you call the post-millennial view of prophecy. And there's what you call the pre-millennial view of prophecy. Now, um, a lot of those have some common commonalities. For example, all three of them believe in two things. All three of them believe that uh, Jesus is king. Uh, there's no question about that he is a supreme ruler. Um, all three of them believe not only that Jesus Christ is king, but they also uh, believe that Jesus Christ is coming back at the second coming. That is where they all agree that Jesus is king and that Jesus is coming back. Where they disagree has to do with about the millennial kingdom. And that's why you got the word amillennial, no millennium, uh, post-millennial, that he returns after the millennium is completed, and pre-millennial, that he comes back before the millennium is, is, he sets it up after he comes back. This is where you've got those three major uh, uh, schools of prophecy. Now, this is important. Uh, for example, the amillennials and the postmillennials don't have any place for the rapture. There's no rapture. Mm. Okay, so that's why people, uh, when you you know you try to debate on these kind of things, people say, "Well, it doesn't matter what you believe." Uh, so it does matter because the rapture is such an important doctrine in the scriptures, uh, and uh, both the amill and the uh, postmill really do not have a their program and uh, their eschatological program. Uh, they do not have the, the place there for the rapture. The other thing is has to do with the book of Revelation chapter 20. It says that we will reign with Christ for a thousand years. If you read Revelation chapter 20, you see about four or five times they talk about a thousand year rule of Christ. Now, the question is, is that a literal rule or not? The armil doesn't see it as a, a real rule, nor does the Post mill see it as a real literal rule where Christ will set up his throne at Jerusalem and rule for a thousand years. So that is where you have some of the major uh, uh, differences between uh, the two of them. But uh, Nathan, if you look at Revelation chapter 20 for just a minute. Yep. And look at verses 1 and 2. 
And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the keys of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. If you look up, read at verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which was not worship, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Now, if this is not a little thousand years, the beast is not a little uh, kingdom coming. The point wow. is, they're all. They're, they're, you, you, if you if you if you throw out one, you've got to throw out all of them, right? Look at verse number five as well. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Again, notice the emphasis: a thousand years, and then verse number seven. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Again, you, I, I don't know how anybody can read that and, and not see that there's going to be a literal thousand years. How are you going to, are you going to allegorize the beast? Are you going to allegorize the, the second coming? Are you going to allegorize the first resurrection? What are you going to do? You either accept them or you surrender them in going the allegorical route. So uh, it's vitally important uh, that we establish which of these particular views um, is the most consistent with Bible eschatology and the Bible teaching, and which one, which ones are we find that um, don't fall in line uh, with these matters? Pastor, we have a caller on the line from Anguilla. Go ahead. Thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question, please. Hello. Yes, sir. We're listening to you. Okay. Um Good evening. Um, Good evening, sir. Um, I was just um, wondering, can you speak about um, the the ten kingdoms of the revived Roman Empire? Yes, sir. Um, I saw a chart um, some years back where some Baptist, um, fundamental Baptist preachers was, you know, was suggesting that. Could it be that those ten kingdoms will be ten regional blocks from around the entire world, still controlled by by um, Rome? Uh-huh. Because you know um, the integration movement is so big nowadays, and I, I actually saw a map with um, ten regional blocks. NAFTA was one. The Caribbean was linked with um, Latin America. That was two. Europe was three. Russia. China 5, it was Japan, or Japan and South Korea 6, then you had the Asian nations, Australia, New Zealand, Oceania, that was the next next one, and then the rest came out of, out of um, Africa. Mm-hmm. One would be the Islamic, Africa and the Middle East, the Islamic um, nations, and then, you know, the rest would, would go into one. So I'm wondering... Because that's the big move we have now, integration, integration. I'm wondering if, um, you know, if it couldn't be that it would be 10 regional, regional blocks under control of Rome, because I think that the Roman government's power, the, the revived Roman Empire, is found in the Catholic Church, and they're worldwide. Uh-huh. Well, so I'm wondering if yeah. that could be a possibility. 
I, I, I've heard that before. There's a book I'm reading now. Um, there's a, Pardon? I said I've heard that before. I'm reading a book now by, um, I think his name, I forgot, I don't want to mispronounce his name, but he's actually a, a, a Jew that uh, wrote a book on Bible prophecy. It's called In His Steps. It's a fairly heavy volume. I'm reading that. That is his, his, uh, his position as well, that there's going to be 10 global regions. However, I, I, I think that this is going to come out from the old Roman Empire as it was because uh, remember it's, 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 it's a beast it's that beast that was there that these nations are formed from it's the the fourth the only four kingdoms there's the Babylonian right, right. so and, and out of this fourth kingdom you've got the ten horns coming out of that particular kingdom which is the Roman kingdom and if you look at the geographical area that that, that the time of um, the, the the Roman Empire, you will see that the U, U, European powers now, Turkey by the way is interesting was part of the the old Roman Empire, the o o Ottoman Empire etc. Uh, so so that is going, that's interesting in itself that um, Greece was part of it and if you look at the composite that is given in the book of Daniel chapter four. And also look at the, the Revelations chapter, I think it's 13 and 17. You'll find that the beast is made up of the leopard, which was um, the Grecian Empire. It's made up of the bear, has a feet of the bear, has a mouth of the lion. It's significant that it's made up of what what was part of the, the Babylonian Empire, what was part of the, the Grecian Empire, what was part of the Medo-Persian Empire, that it is formed out of those. And that's why I believe it's, that's going to be the location, the area that it's going to come from. The other thing is that I think President Trump has done a death blow to this whole global movement. I really think so. I don't know if they're well, going to survive I, I, out of I, it. <laughs> I agree with you, and uh, I think the reason why there's so much moves to talking about impeachment and so on, yeah. a lot of it has to do that he has disrupted the march towards globalism. He has. He has. He's done it, and... Uh, I, I, I don't know what people think about him, whatever it is, but I will tell you, the world will never be the same again as a result of his policies. And I think that uh, America is probably going to be increasingly becoming a little bit isolated in terms of looking after American interests. I think that's going to be a trend. I think this whole global uh, thing has given, been given a, a tremendous setback. And, uh, and Brexit, too. Oh, 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 that's another one. And don't forget that fr France voted... Uh, by 54.5 to 41.5 to come out of the EU. The Netherlands voted to come out of it. And, of course, people places like Hungary and Romania are thinking of coming out because of the influx that was allowed with these these uh, Muslim people. It, yeah, right. So I, I, I think it's going to result in uh, some of them coming out. And I think when it's all over, uh, in the interest of, of security, I do feel that they're going to be formed, this 10-nation confederacy, in the, but I think that you're going to find that some will drop out in the process. We just got to keep looking at the Middle East, looking at Europe, yeah. reading the scriptures, and it's like a, it's like in the case of Elijah, where you had a small hand rising from the ocean until it became a, a tremendous storm. I think we need to look at that, see things begin to shape up and shape up. That's why we can't be totally conclusive on some of these things that's so dogmatic. Right. Um, so we got to be very careful. A, a, another thing, um, you know, looking at the the, the hatred. The world has for Israel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I was thinking um, in 1948 when they became a nation again. Uh huh. Well, that was fulfillment of a lot of Bible prophecy. Correct, correct. And then that proves that Islam is false. Yeah. yeah. Well, 
I don't think you just need that to prove that Islam is false. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, but, but I agree but, with you. I agree with you. And um, but, but not just that. I mean, the fact that so many prophecies uh -huh. in the scripture dealing with uh -huh. the rebirth of Israel, and it's happened. Correct, correct. I mean, I, I think that um, that's one of the reasons why the Islamic nations hate it, why the, the atheists them hate it. That's why so many of these leftists, they have this hatred of Israel, because it proves the evolution is not true, because if the Bible is always right about the future, how can it be right, wrong about the past, where he says God created the earth in six days? Yeah, there's a global and conspiracy. And then re replacement theology. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a global conspiracy against uh, the Bible, against God, against, and of course, once you're against the Bible, against God, you've got to be against Israel. There's no way right. you can be against the Bible and against God and not be against Israel. And, and God has pr promised to preserve that nation just like he preserved the skies and preferred the, 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 the sun and the moon, he said, you know, these ordinances I've kept, and uh, if these fail, then I, might, might, I would fail in connecting right, uh, with Israel. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, but, you know, uh, as Christians, yeah. it shows us how um, we as Christians, too, when God says that, um, you, you know, we, will, we get everlasting life and it is, he's going to preserve us forever. Yeah. The same way he preserved Israel is the same way he preserved his children, right? Well, well, well said, brother. Well said. I like the way you put that. You joined that analogy and brought the two together. Well said. Thank you very much for your call from Anguilla. We okay, appreciate thank it. Thank you. And um, keep up the good work. God be with you all. God bless you as well, sir. Okay. Thanks. Thank you. Keep praying for the program. Keep praying for the Radio Lighthouse. Pastor, we have three and a half minutes left in the program tonight. Uh, I don't know if you want to continue on breaking down the different millennial views. Well, we could probably uh, just maybe look at the uh, the amillennialist view for just a moment and uh, try to establish what that particular view teaches and how it started, etc. It's interesting that the amill view really started with Augustine. Uh, he's the one that really, really? Uh, yeah, started with Augustine. Uh, it's also interesting that this particular view is the view of the Catholic Church and the Greek Orthodox Church, I mentioned, and a large part of the Protestant Church as well hold to this, same, this, this particular view. This view believes that there's no literal millennial to come. In other words, Christ will not set up his kingdom on planet Earth. He will not rule from Jerusalem, and it will not be a thousand-year rule of a literal kingdom here on planet Earth. Uh, and this is the dominant view, by the way, in Christendom today. The premillennial view, which we as Baptists hold, is the exception to the rule uh, as far as the churches are concerned. So, uh, but it's also interesting, by the way, that both John Calvin and Martin Luther held to this particular view. They, the amillennial view. Amillennial. They saw uh, the millennium as uh, a kind of a symbolic um, expression. It was is not supposed to be literal, and uh, they believe that the church um, would pretty much um, spread in the world, and the Lord rules uh, in the world through the church. That's the view that when it's all he's ruling, he's ruling in the church for a thousand years in the in the church. It's a it's a more of a spiritual kingdom than it is a literal kingdom, and that is substantially what the the uh, the amillennial view is. So there is no real future reign of Christ on planet Earth. 
but he is reigning in a, a period of time. And by the way, this thousand years is just a symbolic term. It could be a thousand years, it could be two thousand years. It doesn't as long as the church lasts until he comes back. This is the millennium period we're in right now. That is what that, that particular view is. So um they teach that after this thing is completed, this period of time that God gives the church, uh, Christ will come back, he will overthrow, uh, judge the world, and he will bring about in the eternal state. But there is no literal seven-year tribulation period uh, involved either because there's no literal thousand years. So if there's no literal thousand years, there's no need for little uh, seven years called the tribulation period. So when you surrender to the uh, mill view, You've surrendered the tribulation period for seven years as well. One, it's like a domino theory. One pulls down the other. Uh, that is basically um, what this particular view, uh, and it, they believe that good and evil will continue until the Lord returns at his second coming, uh, but there's not going to be any global, literal view of Christ reigning. Can a person be a Christian, a born-again believer, and believe in the amillennial? Yeah, I think so, because it's a, it's a matter of interpretation. I mean, they believe in Christ is King, He's Lord. They also believe that He's coming back in the second coming. There's no dispute about that. Where the difference is, is there going to be a literal millennial reign? So it's a matter of interpretation. But yeah, you can be a Christian and, and not um, hold to the premillennial view. Thank you for joining us for this episode of That's Truth. Make sure you join us again next week. Go ahead, set an alarm on your phone. Put a calendar event on your calendar. Have it pop up and remind you next Tuesday evening. That's Truth at 7.30 p.m. Keep your radio dial tuned to CRL. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth. Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.